So I think we're actually going to reverse roles this week. I'm okay with this. We're talking about Clerks. Yes. The first Kevin Smith movie. Um, uh, the first movie by Kevin Smith. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's set in New Jersey. Richard is from New Jersey. Yeah. He uh, was kind of laughing at a couple points that I assume is because it highlights how horrible New Jersey is and everyone in it is ha- unhappy. This, this what you know... This is both very New Jersey and very working in dead-end convenience store job. You know, so I'm from New Jersey and I work these kind of jobs. So um, this is very much a – one of the reasons I wanted to do the first three Kevin Smith movies was because these were kind of formative for me growing up. These were movies I saw when I was a teenager. These were movies that, you know – these are three movies about Jersey trash and, you know, a lot of the people I grew up with and know and, you know, am and I he so, can say that because he is Jersey. Trash. I am Jersey trash, but um, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, no, but it, it, it's very interesting watching this movie because this is very much a, you know, this is what your life is if you don't get out of Jersey kind of thing. Right. And so, you know, which is one of the big fears of my life, which is why I am living in Portland right now. But, um. Yeah, I I find this to be a very a very strange movie because yeah. I haven't seen it in years. I own it for some bizarre reason that I don't really understand, and you know, so it was easy for for us to watch. But it's it's simultaneously not great and and compelling at the same time. Yeah, and I think that that a large part of this episode of Truck About Presents is going to be talking about exactly why this movie struck so many people at the same time that it's it's just not very good yes and and it's the kind of thing watching this yeah i can definitely see where it doesn't quite work you know uh it's very obvious that this movie was filmed for i think $25,000 on maxed out credit cards at night you know and it's very clear that he just took people from community theater and you know friends of his and you know he had one camera you know all of these things um, and yet there is a very, I mean, a lot of this movie shouldn't work. The, you know, characters are wordy in his movies and especially in this one to a degree that, you know, th- this movie is kind of one of the demonstrates why most movies don't do this. A lot of the actors can't even really say many of this, his speeches. There's a lot of points where, you know, a character will run out of, an actor will run out of breath halfway through. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, that that's that's one of the reasons that I that I say Clerks is not great is, you know, Kevin Smith is a very uh, uh, singular, you know, creative talent, obviously. And he is someone who has really, I think, carved out a niche for himself in Hollywood really of his own of his own doing and his own volition. I mean, we we do have to state the the fact that Kevin Smith, you know, really just came out of the gate really strong with Clerks and there is something about it that is compelling and I think it does. You know, I I don't know if Clerks was so influential on other filmmakers but i definitely was influential on kevin smith i think that if clerks had not succeeded to the degree that it did and i'm kind of overstating the case about how successful clerks was obviously i mean i think it made like three million dollars in its initial run but again when you consider with soundtrack it was about two hundred and fifty thousand to make you know it's one of those it's it's one of those movies that grossed so much on a percentage wise just because it costs nothing 
Right. And it also was picked up by a major distributor yeah. very easily. I mean, there there is a degree to which I think that this movie is indicative of the ways in which Kevin Smith's career has gone and the ways in which Kevin Smith's career could have gone. And and certainly, you know, I think that that there are there are missteps in this movie. There are areas of the movie that need to be tightened up. There are parts of the movie that are obviously flabby. The movie is too long. Uh, you know, which which you know is funny because there's an extended cut, which I think adds about twenty minutes to the yeah. movie, including the horrible ending of I think Dante getting shot in the I've head. Used, we'll talk. I've I haven't seen we'll it. We'll talk though, about the ending in a minute, but yeah. And and so for me, you know, it's 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 more interesting to me as a as an artifact of a very very you know DIY yeah. school of filmmaking. You know, there there is there is a degree that Kevin Smith. I mean, Kevin Smith obviously is a, is a person like Quentin Tarantino that. And, and while I don't think Kevin Smith is nearly as talented as Quentin Tarantino, and I think Smith will agree with, on and that. Smith will definitely agree with that. You know, he he's never really claimed to be a, a, a great you know director. You know, or yeah, he, he doesn't necessarily know where to put a camera all the time. Frankly, one of the reasons that I do appreciate him as a director is that he kind of does. You know, he's very – he's usually comes off as very self-aware. You know, he knows exactly what his talent is. He knows, you know, he can get these movies made. He knows some are better than others. But, you know, he doesn't think he is one of the great luminaries of, of cinema. But at the same time, I mean, Clerks came out yeah. 22 years ago and he's made, what, 12 or 13 movies yeah. since then? So he's obviously prolific. I mean, he, yes. he, he puts out a lot of movies. And, and while I have not seen most of his post-Clerks 2 output – uh, you know, I, I think that that he is definitely someone who is is a singular vision. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's good at and what he's not good at. And he's able to carve out a fan base and carve out a yeah. career for himself that I think is is admirable. Uh, I would say just on a side note, you should watch Red State. It's so different. From, I don't want to and I'm never going to. I don't like I. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I saw it. It's a movie that I would not want to see again, but it was very good. Um, okay, uh, I'll take that into consideration. It'll be on my list at about you know point yeah. five thousand. Um, I still have not seen like any Igmark Bergen movie, so I think <laughs> that Red State is not going to. Go I saw the those. Seventh Seal. I okay. liked Red State better. Okay then, uh, you know, and so for me, Clerks is you know I'm more interested in Clerks on the level of. I think what what it's what it says about about filmmaking, especially American yeah. filmmaking at this time period. I think it's interesting in terms of exactly how Kevin Smith got the movie made. Some of the some of the technical and production limitations that he was really being faced with, and also, frankly, just I think the the dialogue and the ways in which he writes his characters and the dialogue that they're speaking. You know, you spoke about the fact that he really does write. He, Clerks is overwritten, right? Yeah. And, and and I think that that's one of the easiest areas where you can say, yes, this is someone's first movie. I, I don't know yeah. if this was his first script. Um, I think it was the first. There, there was another one that, and I know on the there's the 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 three DVD, you know, thirtieth anniversary special has a. Some parts the movie of has it. not been out for thirty years. So. Uh, or tenth anniversary special. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I multiplied it by three because it's three discs. Um, the point is, you know, I think he did worked on a film in college that like didn't really get finished, and you know, you know. But this is the first completed project, really. He did. Yeah. I mean, I'm really interested in in, in a version of Clerks that 
you know, he shopped the script around. Someone saw some some glimmer of of talent, yeah. glimmer of, of of interest in it, and and really shaped it and did something else with it. Yes. Because this is a very rough movie. Oh this yeah, is, and it's a very, you know, it's a very rough movie, but it's also a very rough script. And I think that it really did need some tightening. I think that there are avenues where the movie goes that don't work very well. I think that the sort of episodic nature of the film perhaps doesn't work as well as he he would want it to. And, and there's it's the kind of thing where if he made it today, it would be interesting as a series of web webisodes in a way, you know, you know, all taking place in the one day and maybe but like each, you know, there's the movie is set off by title cards of each was a different, you know, five minute, you know, short. Well, that, and I'm glad you mentioned the title cards, because that's one of the things that I think really doesn't work for me about yeah. the movie is that it, it, it's very pretentious and it's very pretentious in a in a non uh, non self aware way. Yeah, and the, the 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 concepts, the words that he's using, only vaguely relate to what he's. You know, they're not taking out of any. It's not like it's a structure. It's you know, even if you were doing some, like fuck, if you were using tarot themes, like all right, that's at least some kind of. It's he took out you know a dozen words in the dictionary that looked big and yeah, know, I wrote important. I wrote some of them down. There are things like vagary, harbinger, paradigm, quandary. Catharsis. Yeah. Now this is where it really gets bad. Is it's the very end of the movie? He's doing things like Dana May, and it's like, all right, fine, we we get it. You you read a film book. Yeah, that's pretty much the yeah that that doesn't really work for it. You can tell, you know, again in a in a in a real movie in a way that may be better served by an establishing shot or something like that, or just a quick you know thirty second montage of just music and you know him him sweeping or something but stuff that they didn't have you know really the budget for well right i think i think that that you know let, let's talk about the production of the movie because I, I do find a lot of the camera work in the movie to to be interesting uh, not because kevin smith is a great film director uh there are a lot of points where he doesn't really know where to put a camera in yeah. this movie and i don't necessarily think that he gets all that much he better never really at it learns to move the camera is one thing yeah yeah and so i think that there are ways in which you can really see and this is why i'm going to be inter- we're going to be, i'm going to be interested to talk about mall rats next week and chasing amy after yeah. that because you know those movies obviously had much more of a budget behind them he obviously had more than one camera when he made those movies and and it'll be interesting yeah. to see exactly you know if and how his film direction, his visual style changes. And I, I don't remember if, it changing that much. Well, if, I mean, if I remember the two movies, you know, and, well, you know, it, it's Mallrats is probably out of all three of them the one I know the best. Uh, Mallrats is a wacky teen, teen comedy. It's a little cartoonish in some ways, you know. Obviously, it's bright colors, you know, compared to, uh, you know, obviously this is a black and white movie, but um, Chasing Amy is more in the style dialogue-wise of this, where it's, you know, a lot of conversations, and it's a bit more muted. It's a bit more in in a realism sense, I would say. Um, It'll be interesting to see if that matches with my memories, but. Yeah, yeah. I I think that to, to go back to the visual style of the movie and the fact that he only had one camera to make this movie, and obviously the the editing is very rough. I mean, I think yeah. this was done on sixteen millimeter black and white film. Uh, this was obviously done on, on a very small budget. You know, he he didn't really have professional actors in this movie at all. Yeah, uh, there were no uh, sets. I mean, he was filming this in the convenience store that he worked at, which yeah. is why he had to film it at night because the store was closed. Yeah, and part of the reason probably some of the shots look like they do because there was a shelf where the best camera angle would be. You know, yeah, and also the fact that you know the 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 plot point of the bl- the the shutters being yeah. down because you know, of course it was night and they had to be down. So <laughs> there are things like that, but. What I find what I find most intriguing about sort of the visual style of the movie is okay. So let's talk a little bit about you know how a, a, a single camera setup works. 
Now, do you do you know much about how a single camera setup works? You have a single camera and you set it up. Yes, but it's more. There's more to it than that. So, oh, well, yeah, obviously you have to hit the filming button and then you have to, you know, take the videotape out of it and you know you cut it open with a razor blade and then you just tape it together and that's no, how you get a movie. No, that, no there's no videotape involved. Well, I know because you know we all have computers now, but this was you know 20 years ago. It's film, celluloid. So. What, what what basically happens? So there's two there's two main differences, uh, two main styles of filmmaking, I should say. There's there's single camera setup and there's multiple camera setup. And uh, multiple camera setup is is normally used for uh, things where you need to move very quickly, things that are shot live and are edited quickly. So things like soap operas, um, you know, news, uh, 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 things like sitcoms. Right there there there's not a lot of time to to readjust cameras and relight things. And this is where so multiple camera setup you have uh, uh, multiple cameras, you know, at least two, usually three or four, that are placed at different angles on the set and the lighting has to be all the same obviously because they're shooting one version of the scene and they're they're shooting all of the coverage that they want from those multiple cameras at the same time that's why soap operas look like that that's why sitcoms look like that with a single camera set and it's obviously it's more flexible you you get a finished product more quickly but it also doesn't look nearly as good mm-hmm. And it doesn't allow you the advantage of splicing together different takes of the same scene to get the best performance. What a single camera setup does, and this is how most movies are filmed, some, you know, the whole thing about a single camera sitcom, that, that's mm. the difference too, um, where you get sort of this more movie feel of, of, the, of the sitcom. So with a single camera setup, essentially what's happening, and it's a misnomer to call it a single camera setup because most of the time there actually are two cameras. Yeah. But what they're doing is they're shooting a wide shot and they're also shooting a close up at the same time. And then they actually have once they're done shooting those scenes uh, or those camera angles, they actually have to go back and they have to move the cameras. They have to relight the scene. They have to, 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 you know, because they're going to be shooting a different actor. Essentially, this is kind of what they're doing. You know, they're shooting different parts of a set or something like that. So the lighting obviously has to be sort of behind the actor, however they want to do it to make it look as good, which is why a multiple camera setup, the lighting is very, very hard. So, in other words, like, you know, we have three different, you know, whether we're doing a single camera or a multiple camera, we might be putting the camera in the same exact angle three different times, you know, for no, I, I mean, like, it's exactly the opposite of that. A actually. multiple camera setup, there's three different cameras, each at a different spot, correct? Yes. Um, a single camera setup, we would have one camera, put it at each of those three different spots, but re, you know, film the thing three times. Exactly, yeah. And so they, in run, other words, they run through the scene three times. So in other words, each lighting, you know, each of those three spots has an ideal lighting situation yes. for it, except when we're doing them all at once, we have to kind of take... Well, this isn't an ideal, but it's good enough that for all three. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So you can see why a single camera setup is slower to make something than a multi yes. camera setup. But at the same time, you get better lighting, you get more control of lighting, you get more. You get more you control know. over takes. You get you get to pick and, and ass- choose. And assumedly, you're not doing just you know three. You may do you know a dozen takes of a scene if you need to take a. You know, if it's a complex, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. A, a multiple camera setup, you have to, you know, if you want 12 different angles, you need to get 12 different cameras. And that's, yeah, <laughs> that defeats the whole point of doing a quick and cheap version. Of yeah. And if you, if you watch anything that's shot with multiple cameras, you'll notice that, that they really only use, you know, three or four yeah. angles at any one time because no one's going to have 12 cameras on the set. Well, and maybe maybe Kubrick or someone yeah. would, but, 
Uh, and assumedly the same or similar from episode to episode. It, you know? it, exactly, yeah. Why reblock it? Yeah, because they're making a sitcom every week. They need yeah. to churn these out. They usually shoot a, a sitcom in, in a couple of hours. I mean, yeah. if you ever go to a sitcom taping, you I mean you're there for three or four hours, but the actual filming is usually, you know, two hours. So they're, they're, they're shooting very you're done in You're done in an afternoon. You know? Right. It's, it's a thing you'll see the whole episode. I mean, compare that day. with something like Clerks, which took, you know, 21 days to film and is basically the equivalent of, of three sitcoms. Yeah. So, so what, 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 this is all kind of background for, for what I really want to talk about with Clerks, which is, you know, the ways in which Kevin Smith really does hide the fact that he only has one camera. Uh, and, and the fact of the matter is, you know, for most of that, he's using these sort of static, static middle shots uh, uh, because it's easier, frankly. Yeah. He doesn't have to do any editing. I mean, if you notice where, when he is, Moving it, when he is cutting between different takes, and he's obviously moving the camera um, and, and splicing together two different versions of the same scene. The editing is pretty rough, and I have a feeling—I don't know this for sure—but I do have a feeling that Kevin Smith chose to shoot most of the movie um, without moving the camera and without cutting between two different versions of the same scene and different camera angles, unless he had to. Um, primarily because it would cut down on the editing yeah. time, it would cut down on the cost, and it would also cut down on. Uh, you know the the this the the lack of editing skill and frankly i i i think there is also a degree of accommodating the actor again these were people t- these were people who were taken from community theater for the most part and were you know would be fine for doing a couple takes but you know you know a, a movie actor is going to do a dozen 20 takes and be fine with it you know they were getting frustrated after the time so yeah you can't really yeah, and you can really see that in in a, in a specific scene that that doesn't work at all when it's Dante and Randall driving to the wake. Yeah, and the camera is just quickly panning yeah. back and forth as they're saying their lines. That does not work at all. Mm-hmm. And there is a very specific reason why nobody ever shoots a car scene like that because it just doesn't work. It's a little seasick, give it. Yeah, it, it's not great. And so, fun fact about that scene because I've been to the I've done the clerk store. You know, I've been in the area. Um. That you know that road is you know not at all where you would get from the quick stop to that funeral parlor, um, but it's the only straight road in town apparently. So, huh? Interesting. Yeah. Um, also, the quick stop and the video store are you know about a fifteen minute drive from each other. I mean, I'm not surprised. Yeah, but you know they. It's fun. You know, I've been to all three of them, so you know I can. There were definitely shelves in the way of the ideal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I think that, you know, it really speaks, I think, to the fact that, you know, Kevin Smith is not a great film stylist. He doesn't yeah. necessarily know how to put a ca- where to put a camera, like I said before. You know, but it does work to some degree. And I think that, you know, you, you kind of – and this is, I think, why a lot of people criticize Kevin Smith as a film director because he's obviously someone who's a very inventive filmmaker, yeah. visually speaking. I mean, well, not product, on a production level. You know, he was able to churn out Clerks mm. in 21 days. He was able to churn out a feature on a $25,000 budget. It looks really good for, for that for those, those facts, right? Yeah. But he never really took advantage of having larger budgets to, to do things in a more dynamic, interesting way. In other words, it wasn't like, you know, we're saying, well, you know, I'm going to shoestring, so I'm good at, you know, I'm going to scale back my vision. You know, he didn't go that much further. You know, it's not like the budget was the only thing holding him back. Yeah. I think that, that clerks is, is a, is an interesting movie to watch for that reason, yeah. because it does highlight the fact that Kevin Smith wasn't just held back by production. He was also held back by his own lack of talent as a director, frankly. Yeah. That's, um, 
part of the re- you know we're not going to be seeing dogma as part of this but i i haven't seen that one since it came out i would be curious to see that because that definitely does have more you know effect sequences you know and things like that so. yeah yeah but obviously he was you know that he was able to afford you know someone who could be a cinematographer and you know an effects team so i'd assume that you know it would be a little different then. Yeah, yeah, you know, he had people helping him there where he could just focus on the acting. <laughs> is George Carlin in that? Did I join yes. that? Okay, he, he is. He plays in that. the Cardinal. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, but aside from all that, l- yeah. let's move on to talking about the actual content of the movie because yeah. I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts about it. And my, my main question for you about Clerks is how. This is obviously sort of a, 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 a time and a place. Yeah. Right? This is. Northern New Jersey. This is south. This is Central Jersey. Actually, there is no Central Jersey. <laughs> uh, um, this is yeah. It, it, it's it's definitely suburban. It's you know there was the one part when she says, "Oh, take me to the beach." You know that's it's about a half hour drive from you know this area. So it's not like a it, it, it's a funny line, but you know it, it's some place you would go to hang out. Like you know let's let's go to the diner. You know is that kind of a thing. right? Um, well, what's what's interesting but, about that is you know Richard is from Northern New Jersey. And, yeah. and I'm from Delaware originally, so I spent the first yeah. you know 17 years of my life and in Delaware. A good and one of one of my best friends from college was from actually Kevin Smith's area. You know, if you've seen anyone mention Highlands, um, that's my friend's town. So you know that that's the I, I know this area fairly well is basically. So so you know but, I'm more familiar with Southern Jersey. So when I was a kid, you know. And then I moved to New York to go to college, and I stayed there for a long time. And obviously, New York is is very close to northern New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I, you know, they kind of have a, a they have an influence on each other. Yeah. And and you know, for me, I have some experience with southern Jersey. But then when I moved to New York and had much more of an experience of what northern New Jersey is like, you know, I never really understood the whole thing about Jersey and why people don't like it. And it's always the butt of jokes because southern New Jersey is great. I mean, it's it's very nice. It's very rural. There's a lot of nice yeah. beaches there. And then when I moved to New York and I spent more and more time in New York and some time in Jersey, not much because who the fuck wants to go to New York, <laughs> uh, is that I kind of understand why New Jersey is the butt of a lot of jokes. And I think that Clerks is – it's interesting because it's – it's. I think Kevin – and this is a question I want to ask you is I get the impression that Kevin Smith – is making fun of New Jersey in this movie in only the way that someone who loves yes. a place can. Yeah. I mean this is a very – there is a kind of – because, you know, if if Jersey has a lot of these and I think, you know, you, you definitely can feel this about Delaware and probably most of our listeners who came from small towns – can understand it because Jersey is definitely one of those places that if you don't leave, you just get stuck and you become your parents, you know, and, you know, this is very much showing Dante is in the position of he has no real, he's not going anywhere. He is going to become just a loser dude in New Jersey, you know, and all of the customers that he sees are just, you know, losers in New Jersey and basically everyone in this, you know, movie for the most part. And that's, you know, you have, you know, the only characters who show any you know, desire to get out are Veronica and Caitlin Bray, and they are, you know, desperate. You know, I, and also I don't think it's incidental that they're both female. Yes, um, we, you know, we we're definitely going to talk about that in a minute. But I mean, what you know, Caitlin's, you know, when she has that speech, like I'm not being a housewife, like I've worked too damn hard, like I've studied too mm-hmm. too much. You know, I'm going to, I'm having a. That's you know, she is terrified of becoming her mother and just. 
that's what her life is going to be. You know, she's just going to marry, you know, her boyfriend from high school and, you know, have a couple kids and, you know, think about her dreams that she had. And, you know, this movie is about these people who are at the cusp where they could probably get out. You know, if Dante gets his shit together, he could get out, but probably he won't. And frankly, Clerks 2 shows us that, no, he doesn't, but... Does New York hold any fascination for this type of, of, is it Jerseyite? I don't even know what you call people from New Jersey. Jerseyan. Jerseyan. Uh, Does it hold any fascination for these types of characters? Because, you know, to me, it's, it's an interesting question because... You know, New York is the largest city in the country. New York is so close to to Jersey. You know, well, northern yeah. Jersey and some of central Jersey. I mean, yeah. you can get to New York in about an hour. Oh from, no, no, from you can get Jersey. on a train. It's not a. It's not far at all. And you know, and to me, it's interesting because you know the two characters that have left. Well, Dante's current girlfriend still goes to school in New Jersey, but yeah, and she's gone. You know. It's not incidental she's gone from Seton Hall, which is actually where I graduated from, to Monmouth. Monmouth is not a big – not a bad school, but it's a small state state college as opposed to a private school. Right, know? and it's also closer to yeah, Dante where it's, Dante it's lives. A, there are a bunch – you know, a lot of the state schools in Jersey – I don't know how this is in other you know, states, but it's definitely high school part two. Yeah, you know, yeah. you you need to get a degree, you know, so you go down the road and you know it's you're like still CUNY or something. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I think that's why I find find it so interesting because none of the characters try to escape the pool of New Jersey except for his ex-girlfriend who comes back and eventually has sex with a dead man. Uh, You know, she's in Ohio. And so nobody's going to New Jersey. No one's talking about it. And so I guess it's kind of, you know, there's an open question in my mind about how exactly these characters will escape New Jersey and where are they going to go? Well, I I, I was going to say, I I don't think the thought of escaping New Jersey is really on their minds. I mean, it's, you know, Smith isn't really great at giving his characters outside motivations. You know, we never find out what exactly Veronica or Caitlin are studying. You know, we don't know what Caitlin's, you know, dream career is going to be. You know, all, you know, all obviously it matters in that is that there, she, she, there's a very weird running joke that she's engaged to an Asian design major. Which, yeah, which is a very Kevin Smith phrase, given the ambiguity between is he a design major who is Asian or is he measure, majoring in Asian design, you know, and he likes to have these phrases that, you know, just repeat throughout yeah. the movie. But, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, Dante doesn't have any ambitions, you know, he's he likes playing hockey with his friends, but that's about it. He likes know? playing hockey with his friends and sleeping in a closet. yeah. <laughs> and that was always my question, too, is why does the movie open with Dante in a closet? Yeah, and who put him in there? But that's, you know, that's one of the mysteries. <laughs> yeah, because I think that that's really, you know, that's that's maybe important... he was he was on the phone late at night in the closet with Caitlin because he didn't want his mom to wake up. Ah, uh, OK. And then, you know, as he hung up the phone, he fell asleep. OK, well, he has a great life. Uh, well, that's the entire point of the movie. <laughs> I find it interesting that. Dante and Randall and and the characters that um, Dante is playing hockey with, you know, those are really the main male characters that we see. And certainly there's uh, Jay and Silent Bob, um, you know, but they're not supposed to be role models for anyone. They're outside selling pot to people. And, and, you know, Jay is obviously a character that is, while I don't think he's supposed to be a bad guy, he's not the most. He's a sketchy Jersey dude. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people like them. He's He's harmless. That's, I guess, the best way. Like, you know, he's never going to stab anybody. Th- th- that's it. You know, as long as you, you know, he's very easy to 
figure out and, you know, he's very easy to get away from and he's very easy to just, you know, fuck off, dude, you know, and, and that'll be fine. But I think what I'm getting at is yeah. there seems to be a tension in, in the heart of Clerks and I think at the heart of a lot of, of Kevin Smith's movies about the ways in which men and women relate to each other yeah, and the ways in which men specifically can get away with not having a lot of ambition and just sitting around and working at a crappy you know video store or a terrible convenience store their only goal in life is to play hockey with their friends whereas you know the women in the movie us uh, what are their names Veronica and Caitlin Veronica and Caitlin uh, Veronica is Dante's current girlfriend yeah. and she's bringing him lasagna and she, you know, she's doing all of these wonderful things. Um, he's painting her nails, I think, which is a very interesting yeah. touch. Um, and then, and then, you know, Caitlin comes back and she's obviously also been at school, you know, several hundred miles away in Ohio. And, and you know, the, this is where I'm, the, the tension seems to be the differences between how men and women want to, what they want to get out of life and, you know, the ways in which women are, starting to eclipse the men in their lives yeah there there is a lot of i i think this is going to be a you know kind of running thing through the movies again i've been thinking about you know what these movies kind of have to say i mean he is very good at dealing with you know these first three movies all focus on a pair of two men who are you know just you know extraordinarily close friends and you know, but the difficulties are with, you know, the women's in the lives. It's easier, you know, for his characters to be, you know, to have homosocial relationships than heterosocial ones. Um, frankly, this movie is terrified of sex. It's yeah, oh yeah. In a very interesting way. But uh but I think if well you, no the I, I what? I, I think if you link the ways in which the characters the men and the the, yeah. the men and the women characters in this movie are relating to each other, um really what it, what it comes down to is I think these characters obviously, and, and this is true for a lot of people is mm-hmm. they're sort of modeling their, you know, romantic and sexual relationships on, on what they see their parents doing and what yeah. they see their friends' parents doing. And, you know, if they're coming of age, you know, these, these characters are all 22. So they were born in what, 1972. So, so assumedly their parents are probably, you know, at this point they're, they're, you know, maybe in their, their what early fifties, late forties. So they're kind of of an, of an earlier generation. You know, they're kind of, um, born maybe in the, in the period right after world war two, for instance, you know, where there was a lot of social upheaval and a lot of women were going to work. And then that's kind of where, you know, the modern day feminist movement, you know, got some of its, its, its juice from where women were out working and they didn't necessarily want to go back and be housewives. And while it took, you know, 20, 30 years for that to really coalesce into the modern feminist movement, you know, this, this is kind of that last generation of women that, you know, didn't really have a lot of opportunities for for outside social or cultural or political advantage or power. And so if you look at that and you say, okay, here's here's men and women that are modeling their behaviors on their parents that have a very specific outlook on life and the ways in which their relationships work, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense that these characters would be terrified of of, of the opposite sex and terrified of sex in general. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, we don't really hear much about, you know, Dante's parents, but he lives with his mother, you know. And Caitlin, meanwhile, you know, she wants to be as little like her mother as possible. You know, her mother is the one who is all about this engagement. You know, her mother basically disowns her for not, you know, taking it. You know, she d- probably isn't that very supportive of Caitlin's career plans, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. She, you know, the only reason she probably 
quote unquote, let Caitlin go to college was to get her MRS degree, you know, and it, she is going, doing everything she can to. Now, what is an MRS degree? What is it? Mrs. Degree. You, know, uh, you go to college to find someone to find someone with a. Uh, I've never heard that joke before. Really? No. Huh? Yeah. Okay. And you just go to yeah. It's it's uh. It's, and that completely makes sense because you know we don't know a lot about about her parents and I think that you know I, I, I'm I'm the first you know person in in my family um, to go to college. You know my parents didn't go okay. to college, and so that you know while I'm a little bit older than these or a little bit younger than these characters, um, you know I was I wasn't 22 until. 2003 so you know probably 12 years later so i'm like 12 yeah you know well actually no sorry like 11 years younger than them or whatever um you know my parents never went to college and so if you look at this and you say okay they probably never went to college or yeah. if they did go to college the women went to college the mothers went to college to meet a husband so they're still kind of in that mindset yeah um in a lot of ways these movies are about you know Women who have, in many ways, dealt with a lot of the feminist and sexual revolutions. You know, the, Caitlin is somebody who, you know, no matter you know what happens at the end of the movie, and I, I, I don't feel like this movie is punishing Caitlin for her sexuality. Although I could see someone giving that reading, but I'm not sure that that's where it's going with it. I mean, to be but, very, you know, to be very frank about it, I don't know that Kevin Smith is that deep of a thinker. That's what I'm, that's, <laughs> I guess, that's, I guess what he means. It, you know, it's just a, you know, a, a gross, horrifying joke. You know, one of the logical, you know, we, we've seen several, you know, sexual body horrors that end in death in this movie. And that's just another one of them. But um, I mean, frankly, I'm a little concerned about Kevin Smith because he has two necrophilia jokes in the same movie. <laughs> With two different characters and two different corpses. So, yeah. But that's, you know. Um, anyway, but the point is um, Caitlin is a – again, she she is able to go to college, able to go to grad school, able to have a career, able to be in control of her sexuality, able to own, you know, who she decides she wants to sleep. You know, she has, you know, got benefited from all of these things. She is confident. She's intelligent. And, you know, the men have no fucking idea how to deal with this. You know, in a bumbling yeah. in a bumbling way, I think you know a lot of his movies are dealing with men who don't know how to react to feminism in some way. I think I, I think it's more profound than that. Yeah. I think it's it's his his movies feature men that don't know how to treat women as people. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that it's deliberate that I think the movies treat the women as people. You know, it, it, it's it, it's not like Kevin Smith, the filmmaker, doesn't see, you know, why Ronnie is a great girlfriend and, you know, a great person, you know, and all of those things. It doesn't, you know, it respects, you know, I think it's fascinating that this entire time, you know, the movie, they're talking about Caitlyn and she's an ex-girlfriend and she's slutty and that's all we hear from her. And the first thing we, when we finally meet her, she's talking about her career and her education and that's not insignificant. No, it's not insignificant and I think it's really instructive to think about the ways in which the character of Randall talks about the women in Dante's life because what what makes – what is her name? Caitlyn? <laughs> I keep wanting to say Celeste for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, Caitlyn – is not a good woman. She was not a good girlfriend because she's a slut and she sleeps around and she cheated on Dante. And and Veronica yeah. is a good girlfriend because she brings Dante lasagna. But, you know, and here's the thing. I, I, I think it's also interesting that at the end when Veronica is, you know, screaming at Dante, 
she's calling Caitlyn a slut and a whore, you know, all right, go with your whore, you know, all right. Well, that's you, internalized you, misogyny. You know, but, but, but you know, yeah, I, 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 that was a very, that was a deliberately written speech again, whether, you know, to what degree Smith has insight or not at that point he did, because that was a very interesting, um, but yeah, you know, and I guess we have to talk about sucking 37 dicks. I mean, I've done it. So have I. Um, I think it's I, that I think gives the, you know, that's a, I think one of the entire points of this movie that there are two, you know, met, these are people who don't know how to deal with each other's sexuality at all because I mean there there is Veronica isn't really comfortable with Dante's sexuality either. And yet they when you when they say sex, you know, obviously, you know, part of the issue is that, you know, he had thought that, you know, three, the three men that she had slept with was anything, you know. He counts these 37 dicks as 37 men she had sex with. Yes, but I think that there's there's a couple things going on there. So so number 1 is the fact that there's a very real distinction in this movie amongst the different characters that that you know oral sex is not sex quote unquote and veronica obviously thinks that you know she's with a guy she kind of yeah. likes him she's going to go down on him because why not right yeah, it's not a big deal she's not going to get pregnant she feels fairly unpo- unapologetic about that right which, and also uh, again as she should well, and I think what what really bothers Dante about that is not the fact that she's she's you know sucking these men's dicks, but but more that it gives her a level of of power and a level of of agency that he's not prepared to accept. Mm. You know, and she very clearly makes a distinction, which I find interesting, and I don't necessarily agree with that. You know, Dan Savage says something very interesting. You know, sometimes where he basically says that. Um, you know, people will call his podcast or they'll write into Savage Love, you know, over and over the years saying like the woman, you know, a woman writes in and says, look, I find vaginal intercourse very painful mm-hmm. or the man says I'm too big or, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Right. I, I can't get her off that way. You know, this, that and the other thing. And and Dan Savage's whole point is always that. And I think this is kind of a, a you know, this is an aside, but I find this kind of problematic in gay culture now where. Um, you know, people don't think that anything but but anal sex is having mm, yeah. sex, quote unquote. And I find that that you know a lot of younger gay people think that way, and the older gay people don't really think that way. Maybe because they came of age in the in the AIDS crisis and whatever. But that you know, Dan Savage's point is that straight people would have a lot more sex if sex didn't always mean yeah. pounding away at a woman's vagina. Because, you know, yeah. women enjoy that, but also pounding away at, you know, having your vagina pounded away at, you don't want that to happen every day. Like, yeah. you know, if you do, great. But, and so for me, it's like Veronica's point is really that she reserves that for men that she really yeah. is in love with, that she feels a connection with. You know, it's a very intimate act. It, it, it's kind of, um, you know, whereas. And frankly, also her point being that, you know, whatever the fuck she did, you know, before she met Dante is. As far as he's concerned, irrelevant because, you know, that was her past. And, you know, if she – again, you know, this is going to the Caitlyn is bad because she cheated and Veronica is good because she doesn't, you know, thing. But, yeah. But still going within that moral framework, Veronica is saying like the, the offense, you know, whatever I did in the past, I can't be blamed for. If I was causing you offense to you today, you know, if I, you know, if I gave 37 blowjobs last week, you know, that would be something we could talk about. But you don't have the right to – 
you know, judge that part of her life in a way. Well, because they really view that very differently. I mean, like you said before, Dante views her, you know, blowing 37 guys or 36 guys. She counts Dante in the 37 as, I mean, let's be very pedantic about it because the movie certainly is. <laughs> that that Dante, like you said, sees that as her, you know, having sex with 36 different guys. And Veronica yeah. doesn't see it that way. She very clearly has a distinction between the two. You know, and it's and, not for nothing that, you know, I would say part of the fight is, she, you know, she says three X very high and mighty over, you know, that makes her better than Dante's 12. Yet, you know, in a way he's feeling like you're lying your number, which would actually be 40, you know, which would be a different thing. Well, and, and also, you know, let's not forget that Veronica, I think, is viewing they have very different ideas about sex and sexuality, yeah. obviously. And and Veronica is viewing 12, you know, Dante's 12 women that he had, you know, vaginal intercourse with yeah. as as kind of a betrayal because she really reserved that for men yeah. that she was in love with. And Dante was just doing it whenever. And I also think that it speaks to the ways in which the sexual politics of these of these characters are interacting as well. Yeah. You know, I, I and I think one of the things that, you know, what... what <laughs> What are the jokes, you know, one of the things you said during the movie about Randall was, you know, has he ever had a blowjob or something like that? Oh, yeah, because yeah. he's making these noises that have nothing to do with what yeah, blowjobs you know, are. But at, at the same time, you know, for all of the fact that his character is an extraordinarily crudely sexual character and what he says, he does have a very— And a little gay. Well, he does have a very— <laughs> He does not have a he he does not have a healthy sexuality at all. I mean, he, his sexuality is his idea of sexuality is watching hermaphroditic porn with his best friend. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Which you know, and I mean, Richard and I are best friends, but we've never watched hermaphroditic porn together. We've never watched any porn together. No, and I don't want to start. Um, yeah, I think well, we haven't really talked a lot about Randall, but Randall is really, I think, you know, if you if you can say that any character is. Kevin Smith's viewpoint in this movie. Yeah. I think you could probably make the argument that it's Randall. Uh, originally, actually, Smith had written, intended for to play Randall himself. And between the, you know, all of the direction and everything and, you know, finding out he wasn't as very, as good of an actor as he wanted to be, you know, he couldn't, you know, he had to give the role to somebody who actually could pull it off. But yes, I yeah. would agree with you that that you know that that tends to bolster that theory is well yeah absolutely and i think that you see that very clearly in the ways in which randall talks to dante the ways in which you know he's talking a lot about that bizarre theory he has about star trek or star wars and and you know he's he's saying a lot of things that i think kevin smith probably thinks and i think also there are some areas where randall probably is not a direct analog to kevin smith yeah randall's allowed to be kind of wrong in some ways i mean you know his it's not that Randall or Dante has the right idea. Both, I mean, the two of them together could be a, you know, and, and that's the thing. It's not like the two of them together bring out the best in each other. They actually, you know, let the, you know, downsides, you know, they, they bring out the worst in each other. But, you know, Randall is about ambition and, you know, he is about, you know, actually action, but he doesn't have any thought behind it. You know, he doesn't have any mature contemplation you know dante is all about you know contemplation and analysis but he doesn't act but he act doesn't actually get up and do anything and yet when the two of them get together you know I, nothing happens and it's thoughtless 
Right. Like, I don't think these are two characters that are going to ever grow and change together. No. And I also think that it's interesting that, you know, Dante and Randall are obviously very intelligent. Yeah. They're very thoughtful. Um, they're they're very sort of I think they're good guys, right? Like yeah. I don't think that they're they're bad people. Um, but I do think that Randall is, you know, and I think you see that in the ways in which he interacts with people he doesn't know, like customers, for yeah. example. He's not a happy person. Uh he feels very sort of constricted. I think he doesn't really like his life. He doesn't yeah. really like where it's going. And he I does mean, that's... but he doesn't know where to how to get out of it. Yeah. I mean, there is a contempt that customers feel for people working a service job i can definitely you know tell you a ton of stories of you know people who are contemptuous and condescending about that and you know randall is at the point where he's just stopped giving a shit and you know he's you know he 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 doesn't treat he doesn't value anything about this job or anything about it and you know he barely values himself you know and you know the only thing he really seems to care give a shit about is hanging out with Dante, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, really, if you, you know, you want to say, what are, what are Dante's and Randall's ambitions? You know, what, what do they love? The only real answer is each other. I I think that's true. And I think that's, you know, there's that, there's that key scene, I think midway point towards the movie or or sort of towards the end of the movie where, um, you know, uh, Caitlin comes back and, and Randall basically says like, if you hurt him, I'll kill you. Yeah. I think that's a very, and she, you know, she teases him and he's like, you know, no, I had him first, you know, I'm territorial about him, you know? But it's true. Yeah. I, I think that, that that's a very, very true scene where, you know, Randall is and I'm not making any sort of argument that Randall is actually gay. But no, there there is a degree to which I think that the, the posturing that he engages in, especially surrounding, you know, sex and sexuality is kind of to deflect the fact that he is in love with Rand, in love with Dante. I think there is a degree to which, you know, it the both Dante and Randall would be a lot happier if they were gay together, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, cause then they wouldn't have to worry about, you know, women troubles, but, um, I mean, in some ways this step, you know, in some ways this reminds me of you and me on this podcast. I will say, you know, because this is, you know, the, the return of the Jedi, conversation in particular we you know that's what we literally do you know but um you know that said we are using that you know i guess you know one of the smith is coming from this position where he is in the dante chair he is working the shitty convenience store job and yet you know obviously smith does have this thing which you know now obviously you know smith was lucky smith smith rolled a natural 20 when he made this film you know he just there are how many you know there are thousands of people in the country who did this and you know went nowhere and also i think too i mean we we can't ignore the fact that making a movie in this manner in 1994 was a lot harder than it is now yeah the tech you know number one the tech the distribution you know there was no place to just this he had to get this he had to go to an actual distributor you know i mean let's let's really really walk this through i mean he had to get a film camera he had to get film stock he had to edit it the actual film manually by cutting it and splicing it together and he had to find a distributor that would make prints of this thing and release it to theaters you know that is so different from from how movies yeah. are made now. I mean, there's a lot of directors now that talk about the the freedom that that digital gives you. And while you know, very famously, for example, you know, Vince Gilligan um, was very against using digital for for Breaking Bad and used 35 millimeter. I think for most of it or all of it. 
And, you know, at a certain point, you know, I think one of his cinematographers or someone that worked on the production staff, you know, they shot the same scene with a 35 millimeter camera and a digital camera and they, he couldn't tell the difference. And oh. that, that's when he realized that it was time to give up the, the celluloid ghost. Yeah. And, there, you know, you, he couldn't legitimately say that, you know, the tech wasn't up to par. Right. And where, where that really comes into play is the fact that, you know, when everything is digital, you, you know, doing 20 takes of a scene has no more cost than doing yeah. three and except for time. And yeah. so, you know, I don't know if Clerks would be a better movie if it was made in, in 2016 as opposed to 1994. But it definitely speaks to Kevin Smith's, I think, ambitions and his, I mean, frankly, I think his his drive to succeed yeah. in a way. You know, this, you know, for, for whatever we can say about Clerks, technically or on a production level or on a script level, you know, it is a very rough movie. I don't think Kevin Smith would ever say that it's not. Yeah. But there is, there is something to it that, you know, I, I can't say that I really... I really think Clerks is a good movie, but it's not a bad movie. It's a very movie. honest movie. Yeah. It's a very sincere movie. You know, that that's the... It doesn't feel like it's covered over with any irony. It doesn't feel like it's, you know, it's it's vulnerable in its way. There, it's, there's it's, a core of truth and humanity to it that I think is is very, very necessary. And also, frankly, the fact that, you know, he is engaging with characters that we don't necessarily see uh, uh, on film too much. Yeah. I mean, we're mostly Again, talking is, about sort of working class. These are the people that I grew up with. And, yeah. you know, this is some, pl- you know, what, when I, these movies are ways that I can explain New Jersey, I guess. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then he ruined it all by making Clerks 2, but that's neither here nor there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it, Clerks 2 is and is not interesting. It's a, I, I, I don't think we'll ever do it, but. No, no, I, I saw it once and I don't really have any desire to ever see it again. All right, well, uh, if you have any thoughts on this episode of Trek About Presents, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. Our social media username where you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is Trek About Show. We also have another podcast, Trek About, where we are currently in the fourth season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So if you haven't been listening to that, please do join in. And of course, we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. If you've been enjoying Trek About Presents, if you've been a loyal listener of Trek About for a week, a month, a year since we've been doing it, uh, and you're not currently donating, if you have some extra money each month that you would like to throw into our pot to show your appreciation for the podcasts, we would really appreciate that. And uh, as a thank you, if you give us $5 a month or more, as a reminder, we do a special episode each month just for those patrons. And for the April patron special, which you'll get if you do go to patreon.com slash show and give us $5 a month or more, we will send you the first three tra- first three patron specials, but we will also send you the April patron special, which came out a couple weeks ago. That is all about Richard and I's thoughts on Star Trek 2017. You know you definitely want to hear that. and I I know I do. And you won't be able to hear it unless you give us $5 a month or more. So please do go to patreon.com slash trekaboutshow and give now. All right. Well, next week we are going to be talking about Mallrats, Kevin Smith's second movie. Ah. What a surprise. Hey. So we'll see you then.